So this week we're doing an episode on women's health. I've been putting off my smear test for about six to eight months. I've gotten about three letters in the post and I'm a bit of a chicken shit. So I thought that I would go and I would get it done for this episode and I would document it. Welcome to Girls With Goals. I'm Neve Marr and this week we're taking the time to talk about health. I'll be speaking later on to two sisters who have an incredibly important message about getting cervical screenings. I'll also be talking to a woman who has come out the other side of cancer twice. I also chatted to some women in our offices here at Maximum Media to find out their opinions on their own health, what they do to maintain it and how important it is to them. But first up, let me introduce you to my panel this week. I'm joined in studio now by Dr. Carla O'Neill, Director of Nursing Services with the Marie Keating Foundation and Dr. Katrina Henshin, Medical Director with the Irish Family Planning Association. You're both very welcome to the show, ladies. Thanks for joining me. And before I start firing questions at you left, right and centre, could you tell me a little bit about the research and the work that you do with your respective organisations? So, Carla, can I come to you first? Thanks for having us, Steve. Um, yeah, so I suppose the Marie Keating Foundation, we do a number of, of um, areas of work. Um, primarily, our main focus is, is making cancer less frightening by enlightening. So it's obviously about creating awareness about early detection and prevention of cancer. So we have a number of uh, units out in the road. So um, we're based across the country in the west, the east and the south. And our nurses give talks and presentations to various groups in the community and at workplaces about different types of cancer and how to reduce your risk looking at the signs and symptoms and availing of screening programmes where appropriate. Um, we also have a schools programme where we deliver, um, again, it's a, a big module of work that we deliver to TY students and fifth and sixth years, giving them the information yeah. and education that they need to, to be more aware about signs and symptoms and how to act on that. Because oftentimes, you know, people are, are very scared about using the word cancer and if we yeah. talking about that. So we're always about demystifying any myths that there might be in relation to it um, and also how people can be more proactive and take responsibility for their health. I think that's kind of what we're trying to do with this yeah. episode as well. Just like saying the word, putting it out there and kind of trying to demystify, I suppose that's the best way to put it. Absolutely. Katrina, yeah. what about the Irish Family Planning Association? So the Irish Family Planning Association has two clinics where we have for quite a while now offered specifically women's health services and sexual health services. So that ranges from contraception, gynaecology difficulties, um, Uh, sexually transmitted infection screening and then we're also very very involved in cervical screening so in that regard then we've also uh, teamed up with Cervical Check to have the the Pearl of Wisdom Awareness Week every year so that's I suppose where we come from on the cervical screening part Uh, again it's about you know trying to encourage women both when we see them for other reasons and then through the promotional campaign to actually attend for their free cervical screening to actually prevent themselves from getting cancer. Just speaking about contraception there a little bit, we ran a piece on her.ie recently about how a certain type of contraception can actually reduce the risk of cervical cancer. And this plays into some of what we're trying to do with this episode, which is really just to kind of raise awareness and shine a spotlight on screening in particular. So this was the IUS, so it's the intrauterine system or a hormonal coil. And I think with this type of contraception, it's not something that a lot of women know about. And I know this because I was speaking to a lot of women in the office there. Um, and I suppose it's just being aware of the different types of contraception that are available to women. But I didn't know that a certain type of contraception could actually help in preventing cervical cancer. 
So, I mean, I actually read that really recently and okay. it is very recent research. Very and I suppose recent, yeah. it wasn't actually either research that was set up specifically to find out that outcome. Okay. So, I mean, the, the, the results do seem, I mean, what they did is they looked at lots of studies involving people using contraception and where uh, cervical cancer rates were also recorded. Okay. So they do seem to think that there is very definitely leaving out other biases, like, for example, are the women who are getting those intrauterine devices perhaps better educated or more likely to attend for screening or were they only detected because they were having screening while they were having the device fitted? So they tried to rule out as many of those things as possible. Yeah. And it does look like there may be a protective effect. Okay. So, I mean, I think the the conclusion is that it needs to be studied further because it may be that this will be an extra non-contraceptive benefit that we will be able to and uh, attribute to those I devices. mean, the thing is with, with these types of contraception as well, I mean, the research said something like a third less and obviously it's a very new research so we can't be mm. like, if you use this contraception, mm. you're a third less likely to get cancer. But I suppose these types of contraception in general are, there's a very low uptake for women who are using these types. Um, they're called Flarks, is that right? Larks. Larks. Yeah. I knew I was going to get something wrong. Really early on I did. Can you tell me a little bit about those? Okay, so LARC stands for Long Acting Reversible Reversible Contraceptive. Contraceptive. So there's a few different types. Mm -hmm. So the first one would be a contraceptive injection, which the the length each injection lasts for three months. Okay. Then there's um, a little contraceptive implant, which goes under the skin in one arm, and that can last for three years. And then there's the intrauterine devices. So there's a few different types of those. There's the hormonal one that you just described. And again, even among those, there's now three. So there's very, very small ones that last for three years. And then another one that lasts for five. And then the original one that we would have had, which is probably the one most represented in the study because it's just been around longer. Okay. Which is called the Marina. Loads of women would know it as the Marina. Yeah. And um, so they're all really, really effective. There's also uh, what people maybe don't know as much about a totally hormone-free intrauterine device as well. So this would be probably the only really, really effective hormone-free contraceptive that's available. I mean, when you say hormone-free, obviously... It doesn't uh, use hormones at all. That's incredible. So it's based on a copper thread. The copper is released gradually into the womb and it's actually a spermicide. So, I mean, I was reading a little bit about um, these larks and it said that there were four kind of distinct groups. Why is the uptake for these so low amongst Irish women? Like, why are women choosing the pill or choosing condoms as opposed to using these kind of long-form contraception options? There's, I think there's, uh, if you actually stand back and look at it, there's a certain amount of barriers. And, I mean, the first one is the most obvious one, which is not knowing about them to start with. Okay. So if you don't actually know about it and if a doctor or a practice nurse doesn't proactively tell you about it, then you won't know about it. Um, And then I think there's lots of myths around them, like a lot of doctors or nurses and certainly a lot of women would feel that you can't have one of those intrauterine devices if you haven't had a baby. That's not true. Okay. Okay. That would have been because it would be easier to fit them in women who have had pregnancies. Yeah. It kind of grew up that there was this kind of feeling that it couldn't be done otherwise. Okay. So I think that's one of the things so there's lack of information and certain amount of misinformation but then there's the other really big thing is cost so if you happen to have a medical card it will be covered but if you don't and particularly if you're one of those people who's maybe on the brink of just not qualifying for a medical card you're looking at probably about 300 euro 
to get started with uh, Stop. a lark. 300 euro, that's a lot. Because you have to buy the device yeah. in a pharmacy, so that will usually come to the maximum amount on the drug payment scheme. Okay. And then you'll have to have a doc- a visit with a doctor initially to decide and figure out which one is best suited to yeah. you and which one you want and go through all the options and get your prescription. And then you'll have a fitting visit. Right. So now, on the other hand, that actually is cheaper than the pill over I was the just life thinking of the device. If, if you weigh it up, the problem is you have to have the money yeah. up front, and I think that is a deterrent, and that's certainly something that you know. Recently, the the Oireachtas Committee on the eighth has actually made recommendations on providing free contraception. I think that would make a huge difference. I think it would. Yeah, absolutely. I do want to talk about smear tests. So I had one this week. And I ignored it for a long time and hopefully everything comes back normal. Um, But I was feeling a little bit nervous, so I wanted to talk to some of my colleagues about their experiences and here's what they said. Do smear tests scare you? Have you ever had one and have you ever put them off? Yes, yes and yes. <laughs> the first time scared me because it was my first time. The second one, not at all because I think once you're there once, you realise it's really not that scary. They choose to do this as their job and they see this every day and it's fine. And it's actually not sore or that uncomfortable either. Okay, so this week we're doing an episode on women's health. I've been putting off my smear test for about six to eight months. I've gotten about three letters in the post and I'm a bit of a chicken shit so I thought that I would go and I would get it done for this episode and I would document it. I'm 25 and I've never had one done. So why are you scared? I don't actually think I'll find anything sinister so it's not my health that actually is a scary aspect and that's the part that should be. I think it's going to be a an experience that hurts. I can just imagine it being painful and I think they should explain that more probably won't be able to film in the doctor's office, which is perfectly fine because nobody needs to know that. But I'm trying to prove a point that it's not scary. I have a low threshold for pain. I've never enjoyed them. I've always found them uncomfortable and a little bit embarrassing. I'm not afraid of them, but it would be more of a convenience thing for me, unfortunately. You know, it's just making that phone call, making that appointment. You know, I did get a bit of a scare before, so it's given me, you know, to make sure I make those appointments when I get the letter. Crap, I thought I had more time, but I'm actually here now, so I'm going to go in. I think I'm going to have to fill out some forms because it's not my normal GP, but I found this place on the Cervical Check website, so you can just type it in and find a place that's close to you. This is really close to my work. I put the smear test off for four years. I only got my first smear test uh, there six months ago, and I was absolutely terrified to get it. I was scared to see what would be found, Um, so I should have got it when I was 25, and I'm 29, so I only got it six months ago. So it happened in 10 minutes. It was quick, easy, and it was was all fine. If I can document it, because... uh... I wasn't allowed to film myself during the procedure. Uh, and to be honest with you, it was absolutely fine. The nurse was so helpful. She was so informative. And it was grand. It was all good. So brave. She told me that at times you can't find the cervix and then, then it can get more uncomfortable for women. But they found my cervix straight away, so it literally only lasted about two minutes. 
uh, you feel pressure and it's uncomfortable, but it's grand. I think they're necessary. Um, I think they should be reduced the age you can get them. I think is 25 currently. Um, and I think that should be reduced because I heard someone in the news actually really recently died of cervical cancer. 22, did you guys hear that? So if it can happen to younger people, then it should be lowered. So to sum up, I've put a scarf on because it's freezing. To sum up, um, the smear test today was absolutely fine. I felt great afterwards. They felt like I was doing something for my health. They're going to let me know in four weeks uh, what they found. So... So, Carla, with the Marie Keating Foundation, you run a campaign that's called Don't Fear the Smear. Yeah. And I actually found when I was speaking to the girls in the office, that was one of the the big things that kind of came up a lot. It is the fear. And I suppose it's a little bit of embarrassment. It's a little bit of vulnerability, perhaps. And then as well, there's the fear of like what we were talking about earlier, just the C word, cancer. And I suppose it's really important to kind of understand exactly what's happening with these cervical screenings that are offered free to women in Ireland. So what exactly are the benefits of getting a smear test? Well, I suppose it's about looking for those um, abnormalities or changes that will happen within uh, your cervix. So it's detecting that precancerous change that may occur. Uh, so it's looking for some, um, any any signs of that before okay. you would present with any symptoms. So I suppose with our Don't Fear the Smear campaign, we kind of did like a, a survey of women in terms of how much time they spend on their their own their own selves in yeah. terms of you know their hair so uh, you know how much many, how many minutes they spend on doing their hair and makeup um, on waxing their legs so it's quite a significant amount of time yeah. over 3,000 minutes they spend doing their makeup alone what and I'm, I'm, I'm obviously in that, that cohort as well so we do we spend a lot of time on how we look mm-hmm. how we feel but we may neglect on the inside yeah. so I suppose so we are trying to just say to you that it's less than five minutes to get your smear test done there's no need to be um, fearful of it mm-hmm. um, and it's about just being proactive again and taking responsibility for your health because obviously the, the more um, the more prompt that you get treatment to see uh, so if there are any pre- precancerous changes the more uh easier you get access to treatment for that the, the better your outcome essentially yeah. so I suppose it's acting on that before you, you would develop any cancer and so, so like, really it's about those pre-cancerous changes that would happen in the, in the cells and the age of which it starts is kind of 25 right as in that's the age the, that, that the screening, women yeah. the screening starts and then from there if you go and you don't get any abnormal cells it's once every two years that that happens so from 25 to 44 it's every three years every so three just, years yeah right. and then from 45 up to 60 it's every five years but depending on what your results for your, your tests would be it, it might vary depending if you had an abnormal smear they might call you back sooner than that So what would be the next step then Katrina if a smear came back abnormal? Okay well I mean I would often be making those phone calls so okay. basically what I would say you know is okay there's some abnormal cells showing up on your test and I always kind of start off by saying that this is why you have the test okay. so that we can find these things if they're there and abnormal cells are not cancer Okay. and then after that I would kind of move into saying there's when they see abnormal cells, they grade them as being either mild, moderate or severe mm-hmm. and then tell them which group they're in. So, for example, someone who has mild cells, which is the most common yeah. for them to have mildly abnormal cells. What happens now at the moment is they then do a second test on those samples to look for HPV virus. OK. And if the HPV virus is not present, then there is no need to actually worry about that because those cell changes are going to resolve completely by themselves. The virus is what causes the cancer. So if the virus has either already been cleared or if they don't have a high risk type virus then they're not actually at risk of developing cancer from those 
changes. Okay, so it's not it's not a terrifying thing if you get a result of abnormal cells. It actually happens quite mm-hmm. a lot mm-hmm. for women and it's not something to start freaking out about as no, well. Absolutely not. And obviously then what we're essentially looking for is the HPV virus and there is a HPV vaccine now in Ireland available but the uptake on the HPV vaccine um, is not huge at the moment. Not a lot of women that I spoke to have had it. I haven't had it. Why do you think that is? If there's a vaccine that can actually prevent it and I know in Finland there is research that's come out now that's saying that there's a huge percentage of women or I think it could be actually all the women who took it 15 years ago. There's been no rates of cervical cancer with them so I mean that's a good thing right? Absolutely. Absolutely, yeah. So why is there this awful smear, excuse the pun, (laughs) smear campaign against the HPV vaccine in Ireland then if essentially it's going to prevent cancer cells? I think there's been a lot of misinformation and probably Katrina you can attest to that as well about, um, you know, certain groups have um, associated with, 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 um, you know, side effects of the vaccine, okay. which actually are have have no scientific evidence for that. And what are these side effects? So people have well, that people are saying, yeah. Mm. Um, so some have uh, mentioned um, uh, fainting, and um, it's some chronic fatigue with it. Other other um, um, symptoms have also been associated with. It. But like just to, to to be clear, this has been the most widely studied vaccine globally, okay. and there has been no scientific evidence to 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 show any causation of those uh, symptoms that have been, um, I suppose, reported. reported. Yeah. Absolutely. And it's not based on anything scientific. It's been studied by the WHO. So it, there's no um, ambiguity around that. So there seems to be a little bit of fear mongering going on. Yeah. I think so. And I think um, quite often there tends to be with vaccines, yeah. not just this vaccine. Quite often you'll have difficulties or bad stories around vaccines. And it seems to be for some reason something that once somebody says that something is related to a vaccine, they don't need to prove anything. Mm. Everybody is willing to just believe it straight away. But I mean, if you actually look at the evidence on this, like um, as Carla was saying, the the World Health Organization have studied it. The European Medicines Agency have studied it. The Food and Drugs Administration in the States have all studied it. And you're talking about millions of doses having been given. Mm. And because it's so relatively recent, you can compare the levels of disease in those vaccinated girls against girls who weren't vaccinated in a very similar time frame of the same age and the same you know, backgrounds. Right. And there are no increases. So they're not seeing increases mm-hmm. in these chronic fatigue syndromes or, mm-hmm. okay. you know, problems like that. So, with the, yes, some girls will faint when they get the vaccine. Mm-hmm. And yes, some girls will have a red arm. You know, that is definitely going to happen with all vaccines. Some yeah. people will get a local reaction. But there isn't any evidence that there is chronic serious illness associated mm-hmm. with vaccination. And so with the HPV vaccine, what are what is the age that is recommended to be taken? And, and what can people, where can they get more information on it? Because a lot of women that are my age, you know, we were kind of past the age of in mm-hmm. primary school and secondary school of it coming in because it's so recent. Mm-hmm. Where can people go to get more information on this? Well, there's actually a very good website called hpv.ie, okay. you know, um, and the HSE has uh, an immunisation uh, site as well that okay. people can look up uh, and get very good information about it. Like, could I get the vaccine now? So the, the, the kind of rationale, first of all, is that it is best given to young uh, 
girls, girls or boys, okay. you know, but uh, basically the reason for that is A, that you want to vaccinate them before they would have been sexually active in any way so okay. that they haven't already come in contact with the HPV virus. Mm. And it's not that it will do them any harm if they had come in contact with it before, but they may not get any benefit from it. OK. OK, so if you've already acquired some of the strains that are in the vaccine, then you're not necessarily going to get any protection from being vaccinated. OK. Um, the other thing actually is that they have shown that in 11 to 13 year olds, the immune response is actually much better to the vaccine. So it is better to be given young, even regardless of when sexual activity is going to commence later. Okay. They will have a better response. So it's younger boys and girls who will definitely feel the benefits from this. Yeah. And I mean, at yeah. the moment, our vaccination <coughs> campaign or our, our vaccination programme, I should say, is only for girls. Yeah. But there are, like lots of countries, are starting to add boys in or look at adding boys in. Yeah, I think I read something about it coming in, in, in the US or the UK. I saw an article about it. Yeah, HICWA are doing a health technology assessment on, on that at the moment. So I suppose we're just waiting to see yeah. what the outcome of that will be. Like I said earlier, the reason why we are doing this episode is to raise awareness. And I spoke to two sisters earlier in the week, Ashling and Aoife O'Regan, about their experiences. And they've been great advocates for the Pearl of Wisdom campaign. We're all wearing our pearls um, in association with the Irish Family Planning Association. Here's how we got on. I'm joined now in studio by two sisters, Ashling and Aoife O'Regan. We got in touch through the Pearl of Wisdom campaign, which was running in conjunction with the Irish Family Planning Association to raise awareness for cervical cancer. So the two of you are spokeswomen now and advocates for highlighting the importance of getting screened. And it all kind of came about because of your own individual experiences. So Ashling, why don't we start with you and why don't you tell us a little bit about your own story? Yeah, so... I suppose my story starts a couple of years ago. I was due to get a, a second smear test. I had abnormalities, but they weren't anything to be terribly worried about. Okay. So I was scheduled to come back six months later. Um, and that was due to be around the November of that year. And of course, I was very busy with all things that happened in November, December. I had lots of things that I you know, needed to be doing that weren't getting my smear test, Christmas shopping and whatnot. So I started to put it off. Um, one evening mum found me um, just flipping through my post and recognised that I was putting off the smear test that she saw the letter and asked me why I hadn't got the appointment so you know I just said I'll, I'll maybe do it after Christmas I'll put it off it's fine yeah. um, she didn't beat around the bush for telling me to get that done yeah. um, so I booked the appointment and had the test done in December then I got a phone call the week before Christmas to let me know that I had um, high grade abnormal, abnormal changes and that I needed to uh, look at treatment wow so yeah, that was a bit of a shock um, the week before Christmas. Um, then it, things moved very quickly after that. I had my uh, colposcopy, which is just a more detailed look at your cervix yeah. um, in the December. And they took a biopsy that day um, because they found the, the high grade changes. So they do a test when you're getting the colposcopy, they dye the cells, they put a liquid, like a, a solution on it. It's not painful, it's not uncomfortable, there's yeah. nothing to worry about. But uh, you can see your cervix on, on the screen and it's really pink and it's there in front of you. Um, and then he said, look, if, we, if anything's to worry, it'll turn white. And sure enough, the screen just lit up. Yeah. Um, very white. Um, and he was very he was very good at me he's like right we can't ignore what we've seen here so he took the biopsy and uh, let me know that I'd get results um, and he'd look at what other treatment I'd need then after Christmas so 
uh, two weeks after New Year's, uh, early January, I was called in for a let's procedure, um, which basically cut away the worrying parts of my cervix um, and uh, they kind of cauterized it then. So they, they um, sealed it up and everything was fine. Yeah. Um, and then since then, I've had further colposcopies. Again, just more detailed looks at the smear with the same kind of solution situation happening to make sure there was nothing left and nothing since um, to worry about. And everything's been fine since. That's really good news. Yeah. Yeah, I it's mean, great. I, I suppose one of the things, like you said, that you were putting it off and putting it off yeah. for a while. And I mean, yeah. was it because you had the abnormal maybe test results Originally, or because I know, like at our age, I'm kind of the same age as you, and yeah. you you get them, and you get the letters kind of mm. once every couple of years, or is it yeah. two, three years? Yeah. Um, and then if you have an abnormal smear, you know it's more often. Yeah. Was it was it a bit of fear, or were you literally just like Christmas shopping, like mad flat out? I think I was just flat out. I think yeah. I just had other priorities, and like that's not a good enough excuse. Mm. But I I don't think I was terribly worried about it. I really was surprised by the result, so I wasn't expecting it. Yeah. Even when it came, it it was it was a shock. Yeah. Um, so I wasn't putting it off because I was afraid. I'd had them done before. I knew they weren't painful. I knew they weren't yeah. you know sore or uncomfortable. So so know, it was just life that kind yeah, of got yeah. in the way. Aoife, what about you? Tell me about your story. Um, so obviously I went through Ash's journey with her. Of I was course. with her for the whole thing. Yeah. Um, and I kind of, I didn't really fully understand like what an abnormal smear meant or anything. Um, and we went to see a documentary uh, called Someone You Love, which is about like HPV and stuff. So that kind of explained to me what was going on when you get an abnormal reading and what it actually meant. Yeah. So I was like all for, okay, as soon as I turn 25, I'm going on my birthday, I'm going to go in and get You're my really smear. I was like, it, I'm yeah. going to do it. And of course, the same, I put it off. I was busy. And um, it was about June when I got mine. So it was my first smear test. And mine came back low grade changes. So I was like, grand, I'm not worried. I know what Ash went through and she was fine. So I was like, yeah, it's absolutely fine. Um, I remember Ash wanting to come with me to my colposcopy and I was like, don't be ridiculous. It's fine. Yeah. Um, so I went in and like that we have a thing in our house pray for pink so that it's <laughs> yeah. not we want the pink cells not the white um, so I um, I'm quite squeamish so I didn't really look at the screen right. when it was happening but when they put the dye on I wanted to see because we had talked about it so much and I remember kind of thinking God that's a lot of white Yeah. and they were kind of there for a while and the nurse said to me it actually looks more moderate to high than low right. so she said I'm going to take a few bo- uh, different biopsies just to make sure um, again it's not sore um, mm. a little bit uncomfortable because they kind of had to take a few biopsies so it's yeah. just kind of more pressure mm. um, but like that the nurse me and the nurse beside me were chatting about booking a holiday like so it's fine you're yeah. not like in pain or anything mm. um, so it was fine I was absolutely fine um, I um, went then for a procedure called cold coagulation so that means when the nurse told me it was like the, she said, she explained it like a stamp that's like just held on the bad cells and it burns them away Okay. and I was terrified I was like burns them oh yeah. it's going to be sore no it was easier than the biopsy like you mm. can't it's no pain at all yeah. um, it's and the yeah, afterwards it's the afterwards that's the thing we talk about this is the bit that nobody tells you so everyone tells you the scientific side of it and yeah. all the medical thing of it but it's it's all fine it's not sore but afterwards, I remember getting in my car and just bawling, crying. Mm, right, and like, you were emotionally, your emotions you're are terrified. All, oh. yeah. and it's like a roller coaster. Yeah. But I remember ringing, ringing Ash and being like, "There's nothing in my brain as to why I'm crying. Mm. I just couldn't. It's like someone turned on a tap, and I just couldn't stop." Yeah. Like, yeah. 
Um, I suppose it's kind of out of your control as well. You know, like the control that you have is getting to the doctor's office and getting the smear test, which is a little bit uncomfortable. But then after that, it's kind of out of your hands. And the scary part is, and this is kind of what we say, like, I had no symptoms. Do you know what I mean? It's very silent and you kind of feel a bit like, oh, my body's doing this and I didn't realise it was Mm. happening. Yeah. Um, So I have my follow-up now at the end of the month. So hopefully it'll be all good. But um, we always kind of tell people, if you have to get it done, don't be scared. Yeah. It can be awkward to go and get your smear test. Of course, like you're taking your pants and trousers off. Yeah. It can be awkward, but it's really, really quick and Mm. it's so important. And if you have to get further treatment done, it's not sore it's a little bit uncomfortable and just make sure you have nice new comfortable pyjamas and chocolate yeah, and you'll be fine yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think one of the things as well is that like it's probably good to highlight like this isn't a cancer test and no. I, no. people seem no. to freak out a little bit yeah. and like a, a few of the women that I've been speaking to in the office the same thing you know it's that almost the sense of fear but it's not a test that's going to go oh you have cancer it's to detect abnormal cells which if it goes untreated yeah. so it's before that so like Ashling, what you were saying there it seems like you've had kind of a, a tough journey so far but like you're on top of it and you're monitoring it and like that now you're in the system so I'm presuming that there's going to be more frequent checks yeah like like you said it does feel like almost a brush with it because the C word is is mentioned because it's pre-cancerous exactly cells. it's looming but yeah. it's not you know and the reality is if we had to put it off for any longer you know we might be here telling you a very different story but yeah. we're not and you know lots of women that, that get these treatments get on top of it and they don't end up having different stories and and it's gone and it's fixed and everything gets back to normal Um, and my doctor was really clear with me I went on my own and you know I was panicking when she said precancerous high grade changes and I started to stop listening then Um, but she made sure that I was really clear when I left her office that it didn't mean I had or there was any indication that I had cancer it was pre-cancerous cells and getting them checked and getting on top of them now was what was important I've been trying to kind of find some of the the stats on the uptake of um, uh, smear tests yeah it's quite a hard figure to nail down but I actually think that you know in terms of the health service this is an incredible thing that they offer to women in Ireland Um, do you know why or do you think that you have a kind of an inclination as to why do you think there needs to be something more forceful than just those letters because actually quite similar to what you said my mother when I was living back at home two three letters were coming in and she was just like Neve, get the finger out like what are you doing like I can tell that you are ignoring these I know you're not booking Mm -hmm. so go ahead and book so I mean is it just that we're all a little bit lazy or do you think something more could be done to kind of raise a bit of awareness I think it's kind of different and it depends. It's it's really interesting because uh, a common thing is that our mums are like, uh, keep on top and do yes. it. When in actual fact, it is older women that okay. are not getting it done. Yeah. yeah. So, and maybe like that, it's because they've had kids and they think they're fine and yeah. it's, it's all grand. It's actually, it's younger women that are, are better at it, but still not enough. Like yeah. still more people need to keep I suppose on it was kind of, of the Jade Goody effect that happened like a few years And that years was back. real, they yeah. did notice like statistically they did notice an increase and, and a, a surge of thing, of women going at that time yeah. um, but as Aoife said they seem to the statistics seem to show that you know the younger kind of pocket of women uh, it's up to 
80%, wasn't it, in the 80s of women that are getting it. There, there is uptake of up to 80%, of okay. a little over 80% of that age group. And then it deteriorates as um, women get older. Wow. So it's yeah. almost as if we're, we are aware of it, like people yeah. in the kind of 25 plus age group, yeah. but we need to highlight it to older women as well. So our mothers are kind of shouting at us to go and get a smear test, but they need to be aware as well. Yeah. But even 80%, like that's still, like it's great, of course, but yeah. it's not 100. And yeah. I don't know how that many women would no, put it off for that long. And like you said, there's no symptoms, so it yeah. is so important to go. And we were at the launch of the Pearl of Wisdom campaign and a mm. woman got up to tell her story and it's something that has kind of stuck with us mm. that she said... Like, as women, we don't always put ourselves first because we're so busy doing this, that and the other and doing things for everyone else that we don't always make the time for ourselves. And that's really important that we have to start putting our health as a priority. We would never miss a hair appointment or a nail appointment. Never. So why are we putting off this when it's as, well, if not more important Mm -hmm. and that we have to start taking control and putting ourselves first? So a lot of this, what we're talking about, can be incredibly intense. And I think we heard there from Ashling and Aoife that it can be a little bit of a scary time as well. Although when we say, you know, and we said earlier that it's not the end of the world if you get, for example, an abnormal smear. It's just about making sure that you follow that through and making sure that you take all of the things that are available to you. And with the Marie Keating Foundation, Carla, they they ran a campaign there a couple of years ago and it was called Out the Other Side. And it was really highlighting that you can get through cancer and there are incredible supports on offer to women. Can you tell us a little bit about the campaign? Yeah, so at the other side is essentially um, a collection of stories of women who have come through breast cancer treatment. So I suppose um, it was just them sharing their personal experience of how they found the treatment, the diagnosis, how they managed that um, and kind of letting people know that there is life after a cancer diagnosis. Yeah. Because often um, through, um, you know, meeting people, uh, you know, through my own experience and also the research that I did, people are, are kind of overwhelmed by that diagnosis initially and, you know, you're faced with kind of your own mortality. So there are a number of issues that, that really come to the forefront of your mind. So um, it can be very frightening for people yeah. uh, and a real shock and I think you kind of go through your life thinking, oh, I've got all these plans that I want to achieve. And then suddenly you're given a, a diagnosis of a life-threatening illness. can be extremely overwhelming. So this campaign is just kind of highlighting to people that there is life after that. Um, and I suppose people, it's to kind of give people hope um, uh, because that, it's very important to kind of have that, you know, when you're, when you're experiencing an illness like cancer. Um, and, you know, you need something that you can kind of look to other people in terms of how they've managed to come through their, their, their experience as well. So it's just kind of to highlight there are, there's no one individual or one size fits all approach. Everyone has an individual um, experience. Um, some of them may be negative and some are positive. So it's about seeing how you can manage your experience and journey. Um, so it's really those women just sharing their experiences. Absolutely. Well, I spoke to a woman earlier in the week, Ashley Coffey, and she had an incredible story. It was a collection of women who had been through the, the similar breast cancer journey over the last couple of years that had met the Mary Keaton Foundation had launched uh, Survive and Thrive mm. at the other side um, meetings in town and we got together in this campaign I suppose to just support and encourage other women that were going through the journey and let them know that even though the cancer ward is such a daunting prospect that there was plenty of positive stories out there and that people did come out to the side successfully and lived life and ran with every opportunity they were given after that. 
And Ashley, can you tell us a little bit about your own battle with breast cancer? When were you first diagnosed? I suppose going back now, it was uh, 14 years ago when I had my first diagnosis. I was 32 and my son had just turned one. Wow. It was a case that I went for um, an MOT, we'll say, on, on my health just to make sure everything was all right the year after he was born. And I had this pea-sized lump that I could only feel myself when I raised my arm. Yeah. And I just really, I went to my, I didn't go to my own GP as it happens because he was a male and I just wanted to go to um, to get a different opinion somewhere else. And it was it was assumed that I'd had the child the year before it was hormonal maybe and that I could just monitor it and keep an eye on it. And did you, did, you, did you think, like I know that you said you went for a general health checkup, but yeah. with this pea-sized lump that you could feel, did you feel that it could be cancer or did that, did that ever come into your, because obviously 32, like you're very young at that stage. Yeah. Was it ever an option that you there thought no, could happen? I, I kind of wanted somebody to say that they felt it as well. Because, um, yeah. you know, your mind goes into overdrive and then once you feel something that shouldn't be in your body, you do think the worst, but then you don't think anything. That's never going to happen to me. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I'm too young. I've no family history. Um, it's only the size of a pea. And when I tell you, I left that day and decided to take matter into my own hands and actually went and had an ultrasound done in a private clinic the next day. And within two days, then I was with a general surgeon. And three days later, I had my diagnosis. And when you say that you kind of took it into your own hands, was that because they had highlighted to you that this could be a possibility? They said it could be a possibility. More than likely, it probably wasn't given the factors in my medical history and my age. And there were no other mitigating factors to point in that direction. And it could have been a hormonal cyst. Yeah. But I decided myself that for my own peace of mind, I just knew it would be playing on my mind. And I kind of... You know, I think if there's something there, just go with your instinct, you know, go with your gut. And obviously, I would have thought that if it was something that wasn't meant to be there, it needed to be out. Um, And early detection is obviously so important and so crucial for anything that leaving anything on the long finger just was never an option. So you had this diagnosis then. Obviously, you said that you had a very young son as well at the time. What was that like? What was the impact it had on your family at such a young age? It was very difficult. I mean, the surgery itself is, me personally, I can say from the first diagnosis was probably the easiest part because physical pain is something, you know, that a lot of people can manage. But the chemotherapy was the struggle for me, especially with a young child. Yeah. You know, you're losing your identity, your hair falls out, you are the face of a cancer patient's then because you look ill. Um, it's it's the medicine that you need, obviously, but it has the repercussions. Um, that kind of kept me housebound, I'd say, for for about a year. Wow. Um, and the the side effects I found were very very strong. It's, you know, it's it's amazing that each person is not the same. Um, I had cancer, as it turns out, three years ago for a second time, and my chemotherapy option that time was completely different, and I wasn't sick at all. So it just, everybody's different, I suppose, is, is the, the, the line to take from that. And I found that that was hard going. And I thought that because I was younger yeah. and I was in a hospital and there were some older people there, I said, because I'm younger, I'm going to be able to handle this maybe better, naively. Um, but that's not the case. You know, it wasn't the case. So for me, the chemotherapy was definitely the hardest road. 
I suppose when you say there that you kind of became the face of cancer as well, what I thought was so great yeah. about the Out the Other Side campaign was that it was about positivity as well. So it was almost, you know, cancer is such a terrifying word. But I think what was great about this campaign was that, you know, you were showing people who are going through it that there is a light at the end of the of the tunnel. And what you said as well about early detection was so crucial. Is that why you got involved? Definitely. Uh, I would have thought that because I was in a smaller hospital for my treatment, that there wasn't huge amount of support networks. And if they were, they tended to be geared at older patients yeah. maybe and historically I suppose 14 years ago was when things were more advanced that people kicked in to be support and we thought that there's a lot of young women in this country and men as it happens but young women being diagnosed with breast cancer and they need to know that they're not alone they need to know that this is a wall here um, through the Phoenix Park of smiley happy faces who have hair who don't look sick who have been through this journey and they're all happy and healthy now please God and everybody just goes on and goes forward but it is that reinforcement of stay positive there's lots of um, success stories out there and get support and get educated here because you can make decisions here that can mould your future and mould your treatment for sure I was going to ask that finally Ashley just what has the diagnosis you said that you've had cancer twice which is just a terrifying prospect but how has the diagnosis changed your outlook on life? Wow. Well, I suppose my son, who's now 13 and has been through the journey twice with me, has, we have this hashtag YOLO, you know, we yeah. definitely, we we say yes to a lot of stuff, probably stuff that we shouldn't say yes to all the time. Yeah. But we, we definitely run with life. We travel a lot. We live in the moment. We, we take more risks and we don't wait for that day. Like a lot of people say, when the kids get older and leave home, I'll do this. When I retire, I'll do this. But nobody knows what's around the corner. You just really have to stay positive. You know, keep positivity, I suppose, and stress to a minimum if you can. And your outlook in life changes because you do realise that, you know, you only live once. This is your life, it's for living. And if you do feel like something is wrong, go and get it checked, I suppose. That's kind of the message as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. Go with your gut instinct. And um, if you need to push a, a second opinion or if you need to, to get any um, a, any more support, there's, there's plenty of people out there that have been through this journey that are only willing to help and guide you along it. Okay, we're back. Ladies, I want to thank you so much for coming in. And I suppose the whole point of talking about this, and I know it can be hard to talk about at times, but it is about raising awareness. So coming up in 2018 with the Marie Keating Foundation and with the Irish Family Planning Association, do you have any things that are coming up that women can get involved with? Absolutely. Well, throughout the year with the Marie we do num- run um, Survive and Thrive programmes. For, so again, that's for people who've come through cancer treatment and their families. At those programmes, we have expert speakers come in and talk about nutrition and diet, physical activity, how you manage with the ongoing side effects maybe of treatment in terms of physical or psychological, um, and how you can kind of adjusting to your new normal I suppose Mm. Um, because that can be sometimes a very difficult time period for people when they've come through treatment often when they're having their treatment in hospital they're very well supported by their healthcare team and suddenly when that's finished they're kind of left kind of almost at the edge of a cliff kind of like what what happens now how do I move on from that so the surviving third programs are really you know beneficial for people and their families also we also have uh, an information seminar coming up in April, on April the 21st, um, which is an information seminar for women at high risk of breast and ovarian cancer and their families. So um, essentially those who have, who've received maybe a BRCA mutation um, status. So again, how they, how they manage that is process. Is that that gene, is it? Yes, it okay. is. 
Okay. Yeah. So that's information seminar will be on the 21st of, of April um, in Dublin and people can register on our website for that. Okay. And then also um, we'll have a number of, an, we do a number of campaigns throughout the year in addition to the, alongside Pearls of Wisdom Welfare, Don't Fear the Smear. In the summertime we do our um, um, skin intervention yeah. and then we'll have an upcoming bowel um, campaign also in um, March and in May in Dublin and in Galway. So we've a lot of, a lot of activities going on. So I suppose um, th- if people want to look on our website and see what's coming up, it'll be on our, our our webpage but um, I mean obviously we have our, our outreach work that we do with our mobile units but we do run our, our campaigns in terms of incre- increasing that awareness in relation to different types of cancer yeah. Katrina the Pearl of Wisdom campaign I, when I was in the clinic there yesterday there was boxes of them everywhere which is really great so obviously mm-hmm. you know the Pearl of Wisdom campaign is about giving yourself knowledge and making sure that you understand what's going on and I suppose that's kind of the message that we wanted to get with this to go and get a smear test but also I found what you were saying really interesting about contraception as well I mean there's a lot of things that I still don't know about it there's probably a few things that I might save up to get Mm -hmm. in terms of the contraception so with the Irish Family Planning Association is that something that you're really focused on spreading the knowledge for women? Absolutely and uh, I suppose just a couple of things just back to the cervical cancer uh, yeah. issue just first of all for women like Ashling and Aoife yeah. who you know maybe had abnormal cells and in some cases have to go for further treatment again just to kind of demystify that basically it's very similar to having that first smear test you get sent to a special clinic called a colposcopy clinic but really you're having a very similar examination but they just have additional equipment and they can see more than we can see so just not to be worrying about that okay. Um the other thing that I suppose we're involved with as well, because cervical cancer is one of the cancers about which there is a huge amount known about what causes it in terms of HPV virus. And there's a huge amount of study going on. So at the moment in Ireland, there is a very big research project going on in Surviva, which is uh, based in the Coombe. And because we send our samples there, all the women that attend our clinics and have uh, smear tests are invited to participate in this research where with what after their test is done and all of the testing is done first the sample is then sent into the research lab okay. if they agree to do that and they are doing further testing so that in the future for example when somebody has a HPV showing up on a test they'll have further tests that they can do to decide who may or may not need treatment rather than having to bring everybody for extra treatment so that it will kind of over the years really streamline what needs to be done so that hopefully we'll have vaccinated girls coming in so we'll have less abnormalities to start with and we won't be having to actually treat everybody who shows up with an abnormality in the first place. That's incredible that there's that amount of research going on as well. So I mean if you go for a smear as well it's good to know that your samples are being sent for research. most women are really really positive about being involved with it. Yeah absolutely. Um, That's all the time we have for now. Thank you so much to Ashling and Aoife O'Regan and Ashley Coffey as well for sharing their stories earlier. Thank you to my panel Dr Carla O'Neill and Dr Katrina Henshin. Shane Dempsey was on sound. Kat Stewart and Anya Leach were helping me out today. I'm Neve Marr and we'll chat to you next week. 